morning you're listening to 2XXFM 98.3, Canberra's independent and iconic community radio station. Lovely to have your company on Subject ACT today as we delve into local current affairs with a curious and open mind. It's Monday the 2nd of May. I'm Becca Postorino. Last week, the Papua New Guinea Supreme Court ruled the Manus Island Detention Centre illegal and unconstitutional, calling into question the federal government's offshore processing policy. It also draws attention to Australia's regard for universal human rights for asylum seekers and refugees in particular. Professor Gillian Triggs, the president of the Australian Human Rights Commission, welcomed an audience of over a 1,000 people at Llewellyn Hall at the ANU last week to unpack the legal limitations of contesting current refugee policy. Today we will hear part of her address in Today we will hear part of her address in the aftermath of PNG's Supreme Court ruling. I also spoke to Refugee Action Committee Canberra campaigner Sophie Singh for an insight into why Australia's policy on refugees needs to shift to reflect universal human rights standards. Coming up, Professor Gillian Triggs, President of the Australian Human Rights Commission's address at the Llewellyn Hall. Thanks for your company today on Subject ACT, 2XXFM 98.3. I'm Becca Postorino. Well, good evening, everybody. I was, of course, absolutely delighted to receive the invitation to speak to the Refugee Action Committee tonight, and I expected a few people in a cold local hall. (laughs) I was absolutely not expecting this. It is a real testament, I think, to the ACT, the work of of Dr Minns and and Minister Berry and each of you, that there is such a huge community response to this question. And I just wish that our political leaders could see the depth of community feeling that I feel is, is here with us tonight. And in this glorious reception, Music Hall, can I uh, acknowledge the custodians of the land, the Ngunnawal people, and respect their elders, uh, including those who might be here tonight. As I say, I was pleased to receive the invitation to talk about the human rights of refugees, a very broad subject and one that I've been speaking about quite a bit. But of course, the timing has been absolutely impeccable. (laughs) I did have a bit of a formal speech tonight, but I'm I'm afraid I've, I've rather eliminated it. And I think I'd rather speak to you directly about these quite extraordinary events that have been occurring in the last few 24 hours. Uh, Firstly, as has been pointed out, the Papua New Guinea Supreme Court has ruled unanimously, including a judge you all know from the ACT, that the detention of asylum seekers and refugees sent to Manus by Australia breaches the right under its constitution to the protection of personal liberty. This, I think we knew yesterday, would be a game changer, and I think it's become clearly a game changer because, uh, as you will know today, the uh, Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea has made the announcement that he will close the Manus Manus Refugee Centre. He has uh, decided that those who've been adjudged to be refugees, the uh, more than 50% who've thus far been assessed as refugees, can stay in Papua New Guinea if they choose. Well, the reality is that of the 1,000 men who have been held on Manus Island, only eight of those selected to be refugees have chosen to go into the Papua New Guinea community generally, and three of those have asked to be returned to the detention centre. 
So I think we can conclude that very few people will want to stay in Papua New Guinea for reasons that are really quite important ones to recognize. They have a different religious and cultural background. There is a strong sense that they are not welcome. And the Prime Minister himself has said that the detention centers run on Manus Island have damaged the reputation of his country. The next announcement has been, of course, that the Minister Dutton has determined that there will be no change whatsoever in Australian policy and that these, that these 850 men will and should remain exactly where they are. We now know uh, that there is some uh, possibility that they will be taken to Christmas Island. We also know that the Papua New Guinea Prime Minister has said some form of alternative settlement must be arranged uh, that Australia must, in effect, take its full responsibility for these asylum seekers. And finally, you'll be aware today that a 23-year-old Iranian refugee has set himself on fire on Nauru in front of the United Nations officials. Um, I hope that that young man is in hospital and is receiving treatment and that he will recover. But it follows 17 suicides over the last five years from those in detention centres or who've been relatively recently released. In addition, of course, we've seen the very sad deaths, quite unnecessary uh, necessary deaths, of some asylum seekers, one in particular, Hamid of septicemia, and one, Reza Barati, who's been murdered. The story is a despairing one, and one that raises some very important questions for Australia and much wider questions than only asylum seeker policy. And I'd like to spend some time today telling you a little bit about what I see as some of the, the greatest legal problems uh, and humanitarian problems that we have yet to address. I think perhaps one point that comes uh, immediately to mind for me with the Papua New Guinea's unanimous Supreme Court decision is how very different Papua New Guinea is from Australia. Because the decision of that court, and I've read it quickly, it's a pretty clear decision, it was possible for the Supreme Court to reach a decision that there's been a breach of the right to protection of personal liberty, because that right is a part of the Papua New Guinea Constitution, a relatively modern constitution, I think, in 1975. What is extraordinary is that Australia has no such provision in our constitution, so that we are truly exceptionalist, and I'll come to this in a little more detail in a moment, but you'll all be aware that just a few weeks ago, the High Court of Australia, in a six to one decision, found that the offshore processing of asylum seekers and refugees was constitutional under the Australian constitution. Now, I think nothing could explain more clearly the divergence in approach to basic human rights than that point of contrast. A relatively new developing country like Papua New Guinea has a constitution that protects these fundamental freedoms, but Australia has not and, and chooses not to do so. But you'll all be aware that last year we celebrated the 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta, and you'll know that buried in the middle of that document about how many pigs and sheep you can have and widows, dows, and uh, all of these rights, the, the breadth of, of cloth, the amount of wine in, in a glass to be sold by the publican, in the middle of all of this is that absolutely fundamental 
provision uh, that Dr Minns has quoted, and that is, no man may be detained arbitrarily without charge or trial of his peers. Well, we've had thousands of people over the last three years detained, and many of them for many more years than three years. And this is uh, something that, of course, we need uh, urgently to address, and we have to address the options now for the offshore processing program. Will these people be transferred to Nauru? Will some go out to Papua New Guinea? Will others be taken uh, to Christmas Island? We really don't know, and we haven't had any responses from the government today that, that are anything other than a determination to do nothing. But I think it's now absolutely imperative that each of those 850 men be returned to Australia, to mainland Australia, and that we have to think of the same policy of return of those who are held currently, about 500 people on Nauru. Just a, a month or so ago, I was at the United Nations in Geneva for what is known as the Universal Periodic Review. This is a, a process under the UN auspices of the Human Rights Council that every country is subject every four years to a review of its human rights record. And Australia had a review in 2011 and we attracted about 145 recommendations, most of which were then accepted by the Australian government, but four years later, November last year, it was clear that fewer than 10% had been, had been complied with. Well, that's where we were in November. We then went through the process in which every one of 104 members of the United Nations stood up in the Great Hall in Geneva to raise their concerns about Australia's human rights uh, behaviour. And the overwhelming issue that those countries raised was Australia's offshore processing, the detention for uh, unprecedented periods of time of children and their families, the principle on the, and the legal requirement of mandatory detention of unauthorised maritime arrivals, and other aspects of our refugee policies generally. Clearly, Australia's approach was viewed within the United Nations system as being out of step with international human rights standards. And these concerns were expressed not by states that might have wanted to have a go at us, nor only by those states whose human rights records uh, themselves are poor, but by our traditional allies, by the United Kingdom, by, by Canada, by France and Germany, by China, and by many, many other states. And it was our turn in Australia to respond to those concerns and the now 290 recommendations made to Australia to improve our human rights. And the response by the Australian government just four weeks ago was that Australia's immigration and border protection policies have enabled Australia to commit to increasing intakes of refugees in response to the humanitarian crises in Syria and Iraq. The Australian government has no plans to cease its policies of mandatory immigration detention, turning back the boats or transferring people who arrive illegally. They also said that Australia respects and complies with its non-refoulement obligations, the critical provision of the Refugee Convention that you're all obviously very familiar with. But let me point out a special provision of the Migration Act in section 198, the heading of which is Australia's non-refoulement obligations irrelevant to removal of unlawful non-citizens. And that provision then goes on to provide that it's irrelevant whether Australia has non-refoulement obligations in respect of non-citizens 
and that an officer's duty to remove as soon as practicable any unlawful non-citizen arises irrespective of whether there's been an assessment according to law of Australia's non-reformant obligations. Now, my point is that we have a senior representative of the diplomatic service in Australia making a clear statement that Australia complies with our non-reformant obligations, knowing that these provisions are in our Migration Act. In addition, Australia chose to accept some of the recommendations on a very particular ground, that the matters subject to concern in those recommendations are matters where Australia is already compliant with its international obligations. In other words, the response was, we don't have anything to be concerned about because we are already compliant. So the strategy has been to declare over and over again that Australia is, in, is complying with its international treaty obligations when all the evidence in front of our eyes is that clearly we are not. About 50% of the recommendations were in that sense accepted on the basis that no change whatever was required. And the remaining 50% were in UN language noted, which means that they will not be considered at the present time. So the question that I'd like to explore briefly tonight is why is it that Australia appears to have such an exceptional approach to refugee policy and why is it that we're prepared to fly in the face of absolutely clear statements whether it's within the United Nations system or the views of the, of the Supreme Court of Papua New Guinea. We've also of course had the views of the United Nations Human Rights Committee in their monitoring processes, and we've seen the rapporteur for the Convention Against Torture make the extraordinary statement that Australia's offshore processing, in particular in Nauru with families and children, constitutes cruel treatment and punishment within that torture convention. How is it that we have moved to this position from those days that many of you in this audience will well remember of Dr. Clive Evatt going to the, you know, the Dumbarton Oaks discussions to create the Charter for the United Nations, where he fought, by the way, against a veto vote, uh, but fought in particular for the linkage of human rights with peace and security in the world. And he was then invited back by Eleanor Roosevelt to negotiate the terms of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which includes the provision that every uh, person has the right to seek asylum and to claim refugee status. How is it that we've moved from that tradition of the 40s and the 50s all the way through the dominant role that Australia played in crafting the human rights treaties to which we're party? Of course, the Refugee Convention, but also the Genocide Convention, the Convention on the Rights of the Child, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, the International Covenant on Economic Social Rights, and all of those anti-discrimination treaties in relation to sex, race, of course, and disability. How is it that about 15 years ago, one can almost date it from 2001, when we had the misstatement about children overboard, found out later by a review to have been inaccurate, maybe even based on bad faith, but by then the political moment had passed. A few months later, the Tampa boat is brought in against government instructions to territorial waters. And a few weeks after that, we have 9-11. And it's in that context, I think, that we've seen a breakdown in the rule of law, a breakdown in Australia's commitment to the international human rights treaties to which we've become a party. And as the minister has said, 
the conflation of human rights interests with the fear of terrorism and of leaky boats arriving in large numbers. The climate of fear has been developed for political purposes over the last 15 years in a way which has led to a serious decline in the rule of law. You're listening to 2XXFM 98.3. The program is Subject ACT, where we explore local current affairs from an informed and curious perspective. That was a live pre-recording of Professor Gillian Triggs at the Llewellyn Hall ANU last Wednesday, the 28th of April, where she addressed over a 1,000 members of the ACT community following the PNG Supreme Court's decision to declare the Manus Island Detention Centre illegal and unconstitutional. Stay with us now as Refugee Action Committee Canberra campaigner Sophie Singh discusses some of the issues surrounding Australia's refugee policy. You're listening to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3. I'm Becca Postorino. Today I'm speaking to Sophie Singh. She's a campaigner for the Refugee Action Committee. Welcome to the program, Sophie. Hi, Becca. Thanks. Last night, Professor Gillian Triggs addressed the Canberra community at the ANU to discuss the human rights of refugees in Australia. What are the most pressing issues in your view? The ongoing detention, both on Manus Island and Nauru, really the aspects of the government's current refugee policy which are causing extreme harm to the people who are detained in those immigration centres. So really they, the closure of those detention centres and the release of the people in those centres is the most pressing issue that we see around the policy and certainly central to the campaign around refugee rights both in Canberra and around the country. But there are certainly broader issues that that are tied up and are intrinsic to um, that mandatory detention of those individuals in Manus and Nauru and the policy of mandatory detention itself inevitably leads to the detention of those people on Manus and Nauru but also people on, on who are still detained of which there are uh, some 1,500 on the onshore detention centres here in Australia. So really removing that policy of mandatory detention is a key aspect to changing the policy and a key aspect of the campaign. So as a campaigner for the Refugee Action Committee, you've just mentioned that or one of those primary goals is to change the policy. What are some other goals that the Action Committee are really aimed to lever? With the change of, of, of the policy around the treatment of refugees in Australia and asylum seekers who, who come to Australia seeking protection, I think there, there are a number of things that will flow from that policy change. And um, I think it will change the way in which Australians view people who've been forced to flee their homes, who've been forced to seek protection from another country in, in a much more generous space. I think it will change a dynamic in Australia, which at the moment is a very, has a very ugly dimension to it. So while our immediate um, goal is to change the refugee policy to one that treats people with dignity and with humanity, more broadly I think it has a flow-on positive effect for the Australian community as a whole uh, in terms of our compassion, our generosity and our you know, reaching out to help mm. people who need our assistance. Why should Australians care about refugees? Shouldn't our focus be on the human rights of Indigenous Australians foremost? Look, I don't think it's an either or. Without doubt, Australia needs to address the injustices that continue to face Indigenous people in Australia without, without a doubt. But I think the way we treat refugees and asylum seekers also then makes it, in a way, easier to continue those injustices mm. to Indigenous people because it breeds an intolerance 
for you know, providing uh, or treating people with compassion. So I think there's a very clear relationship between the two. Uh, and I think what has been very interesting is the support that the Aboriginal community and certainly mm. the Aboriginal community in Canberra has given to the refugee campaign because I think that treatment of refugees, I think, strikes has a chord with Indigenous effect. people mm-hmm. um, because of the dispossession and that ongoing discrimination. So they're not disconnected. There's actually an integral relationship between the human rights of Indigenous Australians and refugees. I, believe, I agree. I believe so. So the Universal Declaration on Human Rights was adopted in 1948 and reflects the predominantly Universal Accord on Human Rights. Is Australia above the Universal Mandate? And why are Australian political leaders digressing from this standard in its response to refugees in Australia? Australia should, in our um, opinion, uphold those uh, universal elements of human rights and do so proudly. And Australia has had a history of doing so. Australia was a signatory to the Refugee Convention, uh, which was entered into in 1951, which, which recognises that people have a right to seek asylum. Australia signed up to the, the subsequent instrument attached to the Refugee Convention, which was the, the Refugee Protocol in 1967. Australia has signed up up to the convention around political civil rights, Mm -hmm. the convention around um, the rights of the child. So Australia has certainly been willing... uh, It has a history of supporting... Most definitely. ...universally on the international sort of political stage. Yes, yes. So why have we digressed, in your view? Look, I think it has been primarily for domestic political reasons and I think we can see clearly a trajectory over the last 20 years where refugees have been um, uh, and and refugees who arrive by boat because they're they're a visible easily identifiable group as opposed to those people who come to Australia by plane and seek asylum when they arrive people who arrive by boat are a very easily identified group and so easily scapegoated and I think both, unfortunately, both Labor and Liberal have used refugees as a way to try and gain cheap political advantage. So I think it's been primarily, in fact, pretty well entirely for domestic political purposes. So is this bipartisan treatment of refugees an issue Australians should be invested in and why? Oh, I think it's shameful that it's the Labor Party that, that uphold, you know, that, that sees itself as a protector of the vulnerable should have over two decades been a supporter and in fact a, a key driver of this policy and I think you know it makes a, a mockery of this idea that there's a choice out there electorally between the two major parties on this issue I think it's, the Australian community should be very concerned that that's the case and should be demanding genuine leadership on this issue rather than still going for the cheap political score. What are the goals of the Refugee Action Committee and how can a small committee mobilise awareness and change? The Refugee Action Committee here in Canberra is is part of a network of of similar advocacy organisations across the country and we're looking to both mobilise locally uh, around the campaign but also to work collaboratively with that network or within that network around the country. So our immediate goal is to tap into what I think is a very strong concern around the policies and treatment of refugees and asylum seekers, to tap into that concern and that um, unease around what we're doing and to bring those people into action. I think what is heartening is that even though this has been a bipartisan policy, 
over the last two decades, there is still a very sizable proportion of the Australian community that do not agree with those policies, do not agree with the punitive approach that both parties are advocating. And our immediate aim is to bring those people out to turn that you know, discomfort and unease around those policies into activity. And over the last two to three years in particular, the Canberra Refugee Action Committee has been successful in doing so and we've built a profile in the community I think that has put pressure and continues to put pressure um, on our local mm-hmm. federal representatives and the fact that recently both Labor and Liberal, uh, Labor and the Coalition have, have uh, sought to demonstrate their, their credentials of, in a way, compassion, I think shows that both parties are feeling vulnerable on this issue and that is because of the campaign that we're you know, running locally but mm-hmm. also the cumulative effect of the activities that are happening across the country. Personally, why are you invested in the rights of refugees? These people who are people just like us, mm. you know, um, they're, they're, our, they're our children, they're our um, sisters, our brothers, our mothers, our fathers who have suffered terrible persecution, who have, have, have had to flee um, literally for their lives, have come to Australia seeking our protection, a country, a wealthy country, a country that is certainly has the capacity and the capability to to provide that assistance and to um, provide that protection. I think you know that's an expectation that I have mm. of the country that I live in, and it it tears me apart that we are treating these people with such cruelty mm. and inflicting such harm. Mm. Just beggars belief, and mm. I can't stand by and be silent on that. Coming into a territory in a federal election year, the send back the boats is still the dominant narrative in the Australian media. What should Australians know about the refugee policy? I think there's one of the things that has characterised the policy and the way both parties have, have administered is a very high level of secrecy. And I think there needs to be a much greater level of transparency around around both the issue of refugees and asylum seekers and what the Australian government is doing in the administration of its policies. It's not widely publicised that the Australian government now refuses to resettle refugees, people who've been found to be genuine refugees, who are in Indonesia waiting to be resettled. So on the one hand, the government talks about you know, the need for there to be an orderly process for people seeking, seeking asylum. And yet when people do, if you like, you know, wait, the Australian government has, has now instituted a policy that they refuse to settle people, resettle people who are in Indonesia waiting for resettlement. So, you know, it's those sort of aspects of the policy that need to be better known. I think we, if you're involved in the campaign, you assume a level of, of understanding around the issue, but I think there is a very high level of... of ignorance. Um, ignorance, yeah, a very low level of awareness around this issue. And I and think, not at uh, the fault of the common person, but... No, 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 no. And this is a situation that the government wants to, to create. You know, the, the less not, you know, people know about the issue, the more they're likely to then not question the arguments and the, and the justifications and the information that the government is putting out and controlling to an incredibly high degree. And also more susceptible to be persuaded by the dominant narrative or a counter-narrative that may be based on, on fear and insubstantial or... Um, 
points that aren't really directed to the truth. Yeah, most definitely. And it's no accident or coincidence that when, uh, before, before Manus and Nauru came into existence, the detention centres here in Australia, with the exception of a small number, were in very remote areas of the country. And it's also then no accident that a very key part of the policy around refugees and asylum seekers has been to both make them and their stories invisible uh, deny access to those people. So journalists um, have always had immense difficulties in getting information from the government on this issue, immense difficulties in getting access to people detained in, in the onshore detention centres and that continues to be the case with the offshore detention centres with I think now what a visa to get to Nauru is something like $8,000 just to apply if you're a journalist. Oh, and it's a deliberate policy to deny access. Mm. You're listening to Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3 as we explore local current affairs with genuine curiosity. The question remains whether the federal government responds to PNG's Supreme Court ruling or if refugee policy shifts as a result. Next week on Subject ACT, we remember our Indigenous Australians from the First World War and ask locals what Anzac Day means to them. Tomorrow on Subject ACT, Doug Dobing talks with YWCA CEO about the 2016 YWCA election platform launch. Coming up next, Community Broadcast Network's topical storytelling, all the best. Join us each weekday, 8.30 till 9am, or stream us live on www.2xfm.org.au backslash listen. Connect to us on Twitter at SubjectACT, like our SubjectACT Facebook page, or listen to our previously aired programs on SoundCloud at your leisure. Thanks for your company today. I'm Becca Posterino for Subject ACT on 2XXFM 98.3. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>